0: Turn your Bibles this morning to Acts, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20. We're going to start at verse 33. But I've been doing a series called Blessed. Can you say the word blessed? It just, it just sounds good, doesn't it? That God would be kind to us, that God would extend His hand of favor. Well, last week we were Acts chapter 20, verse 33. It's the last message in this series we've been doing about the last five weeks. And uh, hey, I'm really excited about something. We'll uh, demo it next week, but we've got an iPhone app for our church. If you just go to the App Store, Church on the Rock, Texarkana, and you can see all the messages, listen to them, get notes, see our radio ministry, what we're doing there as well. So uh, if you've got an iPhone, you might check that out. Acts chapter 20, verse 33. Now, as we look in this passage, I want to explain to you, these are the last words of the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. Now, how many know the last thing you say to someone that's important to you is pretty important? He's knowing that this is his one of his last missions experiences. He's going soon to Rome. Uh, He'll find himself probably at this point in time. He's probably only got three years or so to live. But it's the last time he'll talk to these people. And I want you to think about what he said in verse 33. He said, "I have never coveted anyone's silver, gold, or fine clothes." In other words, I didn't try to get what was yours. He said, you know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by doing what? Come on, you can... By working hard. See, so he's saying basically the reason I work is not just for my own needs, but it gives me an opportunity to help people, to be able to extend God's kingdom. And then he said this incredible statement. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than... Yeah, now that's pretty amazing. How many do you like to receive? Let me see your hand here. Come on. Everybody in this room. Now, if you have ever told somebody, that's my birthday, I know, but you don't have to get me anything, or, or it's Christmas, you know, we're a little tight. No, don't, put in, don't get anything from me. You're telling a big lie because as soon as you look under that Christmas tree, you want to have your name on it. Come on, how many know that? Let's just get real this morning. If receiving is that good, and Jesus said uh, giving can be even better, I mean, that's a good thing. He didn't say receiving is bad. He just said there's something that eclipses that wonderful joy and feeling that you get when you receive something, and it's something about this dynamic of giving. Well, let me tell you that. That's something you have to learn to experience in God because we're naturally receivers on on this end of life. But he didn't stop there. Look at verse 36. He finished speaking, he knelt down, and he prayed with them. They all cried as they embraced and kissed him goodbye. And they were sad most of all because Paul had said that he would never see them again. Now think with me this morning. Here you've got this guy, this apostle in the faith, Paul the apostle. The last words he tells them, and of course if you looked in that chapter, it's about 20 verses or so that he talks to the Ephesian people. And he said things like, I have declared to you the whole counsel of God. In other words, the time I've known you, I didn't hold anything back. I talked to you all about the gospel. He told the elders that they were to take care of the sh- people in the church. They were to be good shepherds. He told them to watch out for wolves that would try to come in from the outside and draw away disciples or, or even men arising in their midst to pulling people away from the faith. And then, after he does that, what we might think was spiritual teaching, he talks about money. He talks about his example of working and caring for people that were in need, and then he said this incredible thing, it's more blessed to give than receive. Now here's a guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, but the last thing he told this people had to do with his stewardship of money and material things. And here's the message in that, is that what we do with our material things will have eternal consequences. The way that we manage our money. Well, this series that I've been talking to you the last, actually, five weeks, this is the sixth week, has been called Blessed. And the purpose of this series has been to help you uh, look into the Bible together and see what the Bible teaches about how we might be able to be blessed financially, how we can live a life where God provides for us and cares for us. Uh, It's not some get-rich-quick scheme or formula, but rather it's a pattern and a lifestyle of seeing how God provides for us. We exercise our faith, our obedience, we become generous. Last week we learned that when I help a poor person, the Bible says it's like lending to the Lord, and God will repay me for what I've done. We learned the value last week of hard work. Most of the wealth that will ever come into your life, it will come through the vehicle of your work. Well, I want to ask you this question. If we've looked at the Bible for five weeks to what the Bible says about God blessing you, here's my question. What do you do when God does bless you? What do you do what God puts in your hands? And that's the question I want to ask you this morning. I want to hopefully cause you to do some soul searching in your life, to ask the question, what God puts in my hands, what am I going to do with it? Because you see, friend, when your life is over, that's a question that God will ask you. We'll look in the Scripture and we'll see that this morning. God will hold us accountable. And here's the question, am I going to spend everything I have for myself, or will I have an aspect of generosity to my life that I help other people? I'm not just talking about giving to the church, that's appreciated, but I'm talking about something way more than that. I'm talking about a lifestyle of generosity, a lifestyle of building God's kingdom. And here's a question I hope that I I can ask you this morning, but I hope you will think about in the days ahead. And the question is simply this. How much is enough for my family, and what do I do with the rest? How much is enough? Because you and I have been schooled in America. America has been this great economic engine has been created through consumers, which are you and I, and us buying things and buying things and accumulating things. And the whole journey of our life is just in that direction. Well, I want to suggest to you today that there's more to life than just buying things for me to enjoy. But there's something in a bigger picture, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. And I want to begin the message with a... With a uh, Oh, an illustration. You can see behind me these two tombstones. They're two tombstones. We've just made up the names, George Strong and Kent Williams, but we're going to read to you their obituary. And mind you now, this is something that we've just projected, but an obituary of two different men that live two lives and that manage their money in a very different way. Take a peek and see which obituary you'd like to have.
1: Two men were killed in a fiery car crash Tuesday afternoon on I-30 eastbound. Police say a flatbed semi-truck carrying a load of pipes did not notice the car slowed down in front of them. The semi-truck was going full speed when it slammed into a Honda. The Honda burst into flames with two men inside. Both men were employees of Cooper Tire. The driver was George Strong, a 52-year-old Texarkana resident. George has been an employee of Cooper Tire for 15 years. Survivors include his wife, Carrie Strong, four daughters, and a son-in-law. George lived a good life. His great passions in life were bass fishing in his new bass boat and his vast vintage car collection. Over the years, he and his wife continued to upgrade their home, now totaling five bedrooms and over 4,000 square feet. He enjoyed hot summer days at their cabin by the lake. He loved the peace and quiet of him, his reel in his hands and in his new bass boat. Kent Williams, also a Texarkana resident, was a passenger in the fatal crash. Kent, 48, was also employed by Cooper Tire for 12 years. Survivors include his wife, Heather Williams, a son and two daughters, and a number of other relatives. Kent was a member of Radiant Springs Church. He was blessed with talents and skills by God and shared those skills with others. Over the years he played guitar and piano and was a part of the church worship team. He loved to fish, and although he never had a new bass boat, he was happy with his old used one and used the extra money to help build a church in Chiapas, Mexico. Every three years, he and his wife use their vacation time and money ministering to an orphanage in Haiti. He used his Christmas bonus to buy Bibles for prison inmates. His children are currently involved in several overseas mission work, sowing their lives into nations. Memorial services will be announced at a later date.
0: Well, it's fictitious, but it's real in a very, very real respect. All of us have a date that we recall as when our life began. Mine was 1957. My grandmother, so many years ago, on my dad's side, she didn't want anyone to know how old she was, and she made us promise that we would not put her birthday, when she was born, on her tombstone. But bottom line, you were born, you don't know when this last number will be filled in. You know, it could be today, it could be five years, ten years, or fifty years, but there's a little one-inch line that Brother Larry Meyer has talked to us about that represents your life. And I want to suggest to you these two obituaries were de- very different. Both guys were people that lived in Texarkana. Both guys have good lives. They worked, made a decent living. But this person did very little to help people outside of his own life. He very much pursued what we've been taught to be the American dream, more and bigger and better. Ken, on the other hand, still enjoyed life, still caught fish. But he built churches. He helped orphanages. He bought Bibles. He did what I will call invested for eternity with a portion of what God gave him. And I want you to think about that this morning as we talk about this morning's message. I ask you the question, how much is enough? And I want to begin in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, because Jesus will tell us that what we do with our money on earth has eternal consequences. Can you say eternal? In other words, there's something beyond just this life, what I do with my money. Now, Matthew chapter 25, it's a great little chapter, and Jesus is teaching about eternity and judgment day. You know, you were shocked as I was when I woke up, uh, was it Thursday morning or Friday morning with that earthquake in in Japan? I mean, it was a terrible, terrible thing. My wife woke me up and she said, Honey, my my folks are on one of the islands there in the Pacific and uh, a tsunami is coming across the Pacific. They're warning people. If you've seen those videos, if you can imagine being on that island in Japan, a 23-foot wave. I mean, that's probably almost as tall as this church building as the ceiling, and a wave as far as you could see just coming. It went six miles inland in some places. As I understood, it has stopped the Honda plant, the Toyota plant, and the Nissan plant where they're producing vehicles. I mean, it's a terrible, terrible tragedy. Tens of thousands of people likely will lose their lives. It happened in a moment of time, and there was no warning whatsoever. Some of the biggest buildings I saw when that tsunami came just, just wrecked them right away. On the other hand, in California, when they somehow were able to track this wave as it came across the Pacific, it was coming to a town of, in California, Half Moon Bay. Anyone ever heard of Half Moon Bay? Yeah. Well, listen, that's where I proposed to my wife many, many moons ago. It was Half Moon Bay, and we ate at a little restaurant called The Chart House. Very romantic. Well, they knew it was coming, and they evacuated the town of Half Moon Bay, and they got to higher ground. And they evacuated them because they had a warning. They knew something was coming, and they were able to tell them, get to higher ground, get to a place of safety to be protected from that which is coming. Well, Matthew chapter 25 is such a warning for us. Matthew chapter 25 is a depiction of eternity. It's a depiction of judgment day, of what will be going on in the mind of God and how what questions He will ask people on that great day. Well, let's look at verse 14. Matthew 25, the kingdom of heaven, now that's this very broad term, but basically is when God is in charge and God is orchestrating the events of the world, it can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. Now a parable is a story in the Bible that tells a natural story of something that everyday experience to teach a spiritual truth. So in this parable, who is the man? It's Jesus, and the long trip is is what happened after the ascension. Of course, you know Jesus was crucified, dead, buried. Guess what happened next? Resurrected. Shortly after that, he was ascended to the Father. The Bible says Jesus today is at the right hand of the Father. But guess what? One day he's coming back to earth. One day he's coming back to get his bride, his church. One day the Bible says there will be a resurrection of the just and unjust. Graves will open. And men and women, everyone that's been born on the planet, will stand before God. Well, Jesus has left on this long trip. He's coming back. But notice what he did. He called together his servants. Now, who are his servants? Yeah, that's you now. Punch your neighbor and say, that's you. You're a servant. And what he did, he entrusted his money to them. Now, most interpretations of this suggest that this idea of entrusting money to this servant represents what God has given us. It's very broad. It includes our talents, our abilities the opportunities, the responsibilities that He's put in our hands, but it also includes our resources. Very clearly, it includes the money and the possessions He's put in our hand. It is a spiritual test of our faithfulness. Verse 15, He gave five bags of silver to one man, two bags of silver to the next, and one bag to the last. Now, jump ahead to verse 19. Their master returned from his trip and called them to do what? Give an account. Can you say give an account? Well, can I tell you this? One day God is going to call you and I to give an account for our life. One day we're going to stand before God. I've had a stewardship these last 20 years of the pastorate here in Church on the Rock, Texarkana. And one day God is going to have me stand before him and he's going to evaluate what I've done here. But that's not just me he's gonna evaluate your life what you've done with what he's given you now verse, uh, verse 20 it's great news for this one guy master you gave me five bags of silver I earned five more that is I did something with what you gave me uh, and then verse 21 this amazing uh, accolade the master was full of praise and he said well done say it with me well done good and faithful servant so and then the same thing happened with the man with two bags But look at verse 24 There was a servant that had one bag of silver, and here's what he said. I was afraid I'd lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Which is a way of saying, I wasted what you gave me. I didn't use my talents. I didn't use my abilities. I didn't use my time. I didn't use my resources to build your kingdom. I pretty much lived for myself. And can I tell you, this is what most people do. And I would encourage you today, take the warning of Scripture and don't be like that. Use a part of your time, talent, and treasure to build God's kingdom. Because verse 26, the response of the master is very telling. Jesus said, you wicked and lazy servant. And then verse 29, he brings it all to a head. He said, to those who use well what they're given, even more will it be given. In other words, God is going to reward you when you have been a faithful steward of what he has given you. Your abilities, your resources, your talent, your money. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be what? Taken away. So how many know we are warned in advance, but the great news is, as you and I can, as we are entrusted with resource, we can use the portion of it to invest in eternity and we'll be rewarded forever. Now, look in Matthew chapter 6. Here's the first question I want to ask you this morning. This morning I'm going to ask a series of questions. And the first question is, when my life is over... What will I have done with the money God gave me? Let me say it again. When my life is over, that is, if Jesus tarries and one day they fill in that blank, what will I have done? And would you agree with me that at that point it's too late to undo things? That today is the day, is a day and opportunity of decision for me. The Census Bureau says that in 2008, the median household income, which simply means who, everybody making money that lives in your house, whether you're single or married, $52,000 a year. That's the average. If you worked 45 years, you would have earned $2.3 million in your life. If you made $30,000 a year, you would have earned $1.4 million. I may know your check if you're making $30,000. It may not look like very much, but it amounts to a lot over time. If you bumped up to $75,000, you're over $3 million. But the bottom line is there's a lot of money that's going to flow through all of our hands in the course of our life. And there's only four things that you can do with your resources. Now, I've alluded to this, but I'm going to go a little deeper this morning. You can spend your money, and I'll show you this morning, there's two things you can spend your money on. One is your basic needs, and the second is lifestyle needs, or things we enjoy. The third thing we can and should do with our money is to save. And the last thing we do with, should do with our money is invest or give some of it to reach people, to help people, to build the kingdom of God. And that's pretty much it. Now, if a teenager was here, he'd probably be a smart aleck and say, yeah, I could burn my money too. Yeah, well, okay, that's the fifth thing. You can burn yours. But for the rest of us, we're going to do one of four things with that money. Now, Matthew chapter 6, let's start here. Jesus gives me money to spend on my basic needs. One of the biggest things that I've tried to teach you the last five weeks in this series is that God is my provider, that the source of everything I have comes from God. See, many people, it's almost like going to the restaurant and think, well, that's where the the food comes from, Applebee's, or the food comes from wherever you go to eat. You're smart enough to know it doesn't come from there. There's a truck that brings it there, and there's a distribution center that gets it to the truck, and ultimately it starts in the ground and it grows, or it grows in the ocean. God is the one that was behind it. But most people just live with kind of a myopic view of life, and they don't see God as the source. Well, I want you to see and understand that God is the one that gives you food and bread, and God is the one that takes care of you. Listen to what he says in Matthew 6. Jesus said, verse 31, don't worry. Now, how many are honest enough to say that I worry a little bit in life? Come on, see your hand. Yeah, I'm going to tell you what, both hands, both feet. I mean, just sometimes I just think, well, where's the money going to come from? About six months ago, Pastor Mike uh, to- told me, he said, uh, Pastor, we're gonna to have to replace our bus. It's just gotten old. I mean, it's still, you know, roadworthy, but it's just old. We need to replace it. And I said, What's it gonna cost? He said, Well, you know, we could get one for $30,000. And I thought, well, oh. then you know, after talking, well, it's gonna be fifty, sixty, and I'm thinking, where are we gonna get fifty, sixty thousand dollars? This is a recession, Pastor Mike. Don't you know that? It's a recession. Well, guess what? We've just able to buy a bus through so what you gave, fifty-five thousand dollars, a used bus, but a great little bus. To what you gave and what we saved in our church. And it's paid for. But yet, I can remember a time wondering, scratching my head and stewing, where is the money going to come from? And here's what Jesus said. I don't want you to worry, but notice now what you're going to eat, drink, or wear. Don't worry about these basics. These things dominate the thought of the unbeliever. Why is that? Because that's what they're living for. It doesn't mean they're materialistic or heathen people. It just simply means money lets them live. And that's the important thing of life. It's living, it's having fun, it's vacationing, it's eating out, it's buying beer, it's whatever you do, money lets you do that, all right? But Jesus said, that's the world's thought, but your heavenly Father knows your needs. Could I just give you permission right now just to take a deep breath? God knows my needs. God knows I've got a car payment. He knows I've got a house payment. He knows I've got to have something to eat. He cares about me. But notice what it says, his advice. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else, live righteously, and then God will give you what you need. So what the Bible is saying is don't just go after money, go after God. And as you're going after God, it doesn't mean you don't work, but it means your work is an extension of you going after God. Your business belongs to God. It's an extension, and God uses the business to care for you. So very clearly, God is concerned about my necessities. He promised to meet my needs. But let me tell you this, and here's where we're going to start something new. There's a difference between basic needs and lifestyle needs. Let me say it again. There's a difference between my basic needs for food, clothing, and shelter, and then what I do or the lifestyle that I live. Let's say that uh, you like to water ski. You may I like to water ski? Let me see your hand here. Well, that's a good thing. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's say you're going to buy a boat, and let's say you're going to buy maybe a new boat, forty thousand dollars. Well, I doubt you've got forty thousand dollars. So maybe you can come up with a down payment. Maybe ten, maybe four, maybe six, eight thousand dollars. You have to borrow some money. Well, guess what? At four dollars a, a gallon for gasoline, let's say if you get about ten gallons to the hour, you're going to go out and spend six hours. You've got to come up with two hundred and forty bucks just for gas to go have fun. You need it. Now, come on, you've got this big boat. You need money to buy the insurance, because God forbid if somebody stole it. You need a place to park that boat and keep it safe. You need one of those things to jack it up out of the water so the barnacles don't get on it because you hadn't ridden it in six months, but you needed that. You need a big vehicle to tow it around. Now, I'm not knocking the boat. If you've got one you don't want to use, please, I'll be happy to take it for you. My wife would love to water ski again, okay? the needs of the boat are not bad. We're going to talk about God's enjoyment in our lives, but I'm telling you, they're not the basics of life. And here's what I want you to do. If in your mind, if you can separate my food, my clothing, my shelter, and even where you eat, how many know the food may be a little different if you eat it out back as opposed to going through the McDonald's window and the dollar menu, it's a little different kind of food, but bottom line, it's going to give you some nourishment, okay? Because I know you're ordering a salad at McDonald's. But when you, when you go through that, you know, the oatmeal with the fruit for breakfast, you go through that and you get that, that's going to give you just as much health as spending 40, 50 bucks. Are, are you with me? But I mean, no, it's much nicer to go and sit down and have somebody give you this big menu and, and pick what you want. But there's a difference between basic needs that he promised to meet and the lifestyle needs. And here's where my challenge begins because the lifestyle needs fall in this second category. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 6, let me remind you something very good. God not only gives me money for basic needs, he gives me money for things to enjoy. Now, let me speak to you because a lot of you feel guilty when you spend money. 1 Timothy 6 17, it says, uh, God richly gives us all we need for our. Come on, it's up here. Come on, Mr. Slide Man. God gives us what we need for our enjoyment. So let me tell you this. If you're able to buy something nice, if you can afford that boat and the Lord okayed you to get it, don't ever feel guilty about it. If you're able to go somewhere, if you're able to do a cruise around the world, don't feel guilty about it. If you're able to go and buy a nice dress somewhere, don't come to church and say, oh, I just, it was on sale. You don't have to tell anybody it was on sale. Just come walking in with that new dress and just say thank you. I mean, you understand what I'm saying. Sometimes we just almost feel ashamed because God has blessed us. You know, we don't want to be arrogant, but on the other hand, listen, if God has been good to you, everybody say thank God. Come on. And you can enjoy it. Listen, you can go turkey hunting, and you can go duck hunting, and you can buy property with ducks and turkeys on it. I'm telling you, it's a good thing if God has given it to you. But now here's the kind of little caveat or the little warning. You can enjoy it as long as you don't spend everything on enjoying life today. And this is where the problem is, because most people spend everything for living for today. Now, let me be very upfront and honest with you. I like nice new things. Anybody else? I'd rather have something new than rather than something old. I'd rather have more than something less. Come on, you spiritual people out there. Let's just be honest. I like these things. But the problem is, here's my second question, and that you owe it to yourself to ask yourself, because one day you and God are going to have a conversation about this. How much is enough for my life, and what do I do with the rest? Now, this is the challenge. I cannot answer this question for you. I cannot tell you the magic number of how many square feet is legitimate for a Christian to be able to live in I can't tell you that I cannot tell you what kind of car is okay for you to drive ladies I cannot tell you wouldn't presume to tell you how many shoes you can have in your closet you do have two feet though I mean I but I can't I will not tell you I I can't even tell you how many duck decoys it's okay to have but I can tell you it's a big decision and we all have been kind of schooled to live in life to where more is better and it's my right and just spend as much as I can. Let me give you just a little, bit of a little bit of a warning here. If you are living your life on 100% of meeting your needs and enjoying the rest, you need to make an adjustment. I would suggest that you adopt a different lifestyle. Maybe you start with a, a 90-10 where you start living on 90 and, and honoring God with the 10%. And then you shoot for 80, 10, 10. You live on 80. You take 10 that you give and 10 that you save. I have a friend I met just recently, and he said he's trying to live on 60. He's trying to give 20, and he's trying to save 20. What we do in our church, your church, that you give your tithe dollars to, we take 80% of that tithe, and that's what we live on for the ministries of our church. We, we take 12.5% in an outreach fund, and we give it to missions. We invest it in outreach. We help people. And then we take 7.5% and put it in short-term savings. Now, listen, when I got here a long time ago, we were broke and didn't have two nickels to rub together. But I'm telling you, you can move to being broke to being to a place where you've got some excess to do something. But it starts with a decision that I'm going to stop just consuming it all because if you consume it all on yourself, you are wasting something for eternity. You need to learn how to tell yourself no. You need to be able to control your appetites. I I wish I'd have brought the Sunday newspaper in. It is as much advertisement in that newspaper for stuff as it is news. Listen, I looked through the Best Buy insert the other day. I didn't even realize how much I really needed and didn't have until I looked at that insert. (laughs) And I've not been happy ever since. It's a decision you need to make. You're not saying much this morning. Proverbs chapter 13. Now, you can spend it on your needs. You can spend it on what you enjoy. But now, here's another. It's a big one. God gives me money to save for the future. Saving is a biblical idea, but saving is not fun. Everybody said, Because you don't get any immediate enjoyment for it. But saving is biblical. How many know Joseph saved the world in Genesis 41 because he saved food, he and Pharaoh. They stored up in their good years. They put some food money in the bank, food in the bank, and then when everybody was hungry, they were able to feed them. Proverbs 13, says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Now, how are you going to leave something to your grandchildren if you hadn't saved something and built some wealth to give them? They don't want your debts. See, that Bible says you're a good person, but you've got to be a saver. But I want to tell you this, Proverbs 22:7. 7, this is a big one. You cannot save or give if you're in debt. Let me say it again. You cannot save or give if you're in debt. Proverbs 22:7 7 says the borrower is the slave of the lender. The borrower is the slave or the servant of the lender. Now, let me say this: If debt is controlling your life, let me give you a little hope. You and God can get out of it. You're not the same person. To, 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 you're not going to be the same person tomorrow that you are today. I was born again as a mess, but I would, listen. I was born, you know, kind of a selfish mess. But when I was born again, God made some changes in me. I am not the same person I was in my value system today than I was years ago. And I want to give you some hope today. I don't care how bleak or bad your finances may be, God can get you out of the hole if you will stop digging yourself deeper in, stop looking for more credit cards, come on, and start turning life over to God, willing to make a little sacrifice and control, and let God build you out of that thing. If I was struggling with debt, I would go through this financial peace class in the church. We offer it all the time. They're in a session right now, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace. But let me tell you something. Let me give you one quick piece of advice if you have debt you want to get rid of. Write all your bills down on a piece of paper and look at that smallest bill. Let's say that bill is a $29 bill from J.C. Penney's and that's your required payment. I want to encourage you, find some way, find some way. Don't go to Starbucks, don't go to McDonald's, but some way to come up with 10 or 20 extra dollars a month. And instead of paying $29, pay $49 on that bill. And you do that for a couple months until you knock that first bill out. And everybody say, J.C. Penney's is paid off. Say paid off. Well, after that $49 is paid off, don't just start buying a new pair of shoes every month for $49. Keep your belt tight. Take that $49 and put it against bill number two. And you keep putting extra. And then when you get number two paid off, take one and two and put it against three. And before you know it, you can get out of the debt hole because God wants you to be able to meet your needs, have something to enjoy, have some money to save, but He also wants you to be able to be generous, to share, and to give, because that's where the eternal focus comes in. So I don't want you to make you feel guilty if you're not doing this, but I want to challenge you to make a lifestyle change to where you can start investing some of your money in eternity. And I'm not talking about giving to the church. Let's get way bigger than that. I'm talking about you as a Christian person, a generous person that God is able to use to do some big things in the lives of other people. Give the Lord a big hand this morning. Now, Acts chapter 20, verse 35. Let's look at this fourth thing. God gives me money to help people and advance the kingdom of God. Remember we read in our text this morning, Acts 20, Paul the Apostle said, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to to give than to receive. Now, once again, we said that it it is a great blessing to be able to receive. Can we all just agree to that? It is great. Listen, when your birthday comes along and you see some boxes and you happen to have seen the receipt, you know what's in the box, you can't wait to open it. I mean, it is a great thing, but let me just tell you this today. It is possible that you could get more excited about giving and helping people than it is you just helping yourself. Now, it's nothing wrong. It's not either a a, a spend on myself or, or, or give something to this old stingy God that wants to take from me. Please get a different mentality. God wants you to have a great life, but he also wants you to make a room in your heart for his kingdom. Now, this is a real big thing. How many have wish lists of things you'd like to spend money on? Let me see your hand here. Come on, you've got your list. Come on. You may not have them written down, but you know if I were to give you thousand dollars today, you'd already know where you're going to spend it. Come on. You know, no. actually, let me see. If Bill were to give you a thousand dollars, that's more <laughs> likelier than me. Okay. If Bill comes up to you after church today and gives you ten one hundred dollar bills, he's probably got them in his pocket. So see him after church. You know. Nobody has to tell you. You don't have to say, oh, God, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. I just, I just, no, you know what you're going to do. Come on. I got a wish list. It's got a four-wheeler on it. and It's got something called a go-devil. Do you know what a go-devil is? Now, what would a preacher do with a go-devil? See, you got something to gossip about. Now, you can go tell somebody that your preacher wanted to buy the devil or something. No. A go-devil is a motor that'll go in water that deep and through weeds to go duck hunting with. Okay, so everybody's got a list, okay? And I know you'd love to have one, too. But you got something. At hair extensions. <laughs> I need some, too, but, but, but I'm not going to pay what they advertise to pay for hair extensions. Now, I'm telling you, you got something. But is it just possible that you could also have on that list helping build a church in Chiapas in the mountains? Is it also possible that you could have feeding poor kids in Haiti? Is it also possible that you could have Bibles? We're going to have Pastor Caius, uh, I can't say his name because of the world. War. We're going to have someone from the underground church in a couple of weeks here that's being persecuted right now over the Middle East, death threats on their life. Wouldn't it be a great thing for you to be able to help Christians that don't have a home to live in because they are scared for their lives? See, all these things. And is it possible that if it's more blessed to give than receive that you could get happier, come on, over the Bibles than the go-devil? I'm telling you, it is possible. There are some examples of people in the Bible that gave extravagantly and sacrificially without a frown on their face. Can you get the picture of Mary when she was anointed by Jesus? You remember, we saw this a couple of weeks ago, where this woman literally took a year's salary and put it in a 12-ounce jar and poured it on the feet of Christ. And Jesus gave her a great accolade. And you know what? She seemed to have enjoyed the fragrance so much because she took her hair, come on, and just wiped it his feet with it, and I bet you she didn't turn around and get something and wash that stuff out of her hair. I bet she wanted the fragrance to linger because of what she had done for Christ, preparing his burial. So when Jesus, the Bible says, to whom he has been forgiven much, loves much. So there was a woman in the Bible, she just had two coins left, and the Bible said Jesus saw her go to the treasury, and she put both of those. Why would somebody do that? This extravagant, sacrificial giving to God, to the work of God, to helping people, to reaching people. It's because God has transformed their heart. I want to tell you, it is not a natural thing. When you're reserved listening to me, it's because this is hard. It's a discipline thing. I'm telling you, there's something beyond the discipline. There's the joy. It's just like praying. Prayer is not natural to me unless I'm in trouble. If I'm not in trouble, prayer is most of the time a discipline that I start. And in the midst of the prayer, it becomes a delight because the discipline brought me to God and the delight comes when I sense His presence, when I feel Him speaking to me, when He gives me joy, when He takes the burdens and the worry, when He whispers something in my ear. I heard the Lord whisper something in my ear between the services and, and you know, by the way, I'm not the last one in service because uh, I don't have anything else to do. I've just preached. I got here this morning uh, at, uh, before 7 o'clock, and I've been with God, and we have our first service, which is real good, and then I'm in the halls and praying for people and shaking hands, and I don't, even, I don't even take a minute or two off, and then I come in here and be with you. Well, I don't do that because I have to. It's an offering to give to God. Why does that happen? Because God changes your heart. Let me tell you a scripture that's just blow you right out of the water. Paul said this about being content. Here, this great man, I'm going to close with this. This great man wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Put it on the screen. It's the book of Philippians. It's about something about contentment. You know what the word content means? Content means being happy with what I have. Paul said, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content or being happy in whatever circumstances I'm in whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether I've got plenty or in want. Notice what it says, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So what I'm talking, your happiness is not because of your discipline. Usually when you don't have enough, come on, we're usually a little frustrated with it, I'm telling you. If your friends are getting ready and they're all going out to, I don't know, a roadhouse or Outback or somewhere like that, and you know that's a a little more money than you might have in your pocket, and you're going to drive through McDonald's and you're in that dollar menu, come on. Stay with me another minute here. I'm really trying to help you. Do you know you can be content with the dollar menu at McDonald's and griping at the waitress at Outback? Because happiness is not contingent on the quality of your steak. Contentment is not dependent on how many sweet potato fries they gave you. Contentment comes from a relationship with God. And you can take your happy meal that didn't have the present in it, and you can bow your heads, and you can say, Lord, thank you so much for giving me something to eat. Or you can sit there and be bitter and angry. Why don't you take care of me? That preacher just talked about you. Take you don't take care. Of me. I'm telling you, it's all about the heart. It's that same heart that if you will just turn your heart over to God, if you'll surrender yourself to Christ, if you'll let Jesus even be first in your material world, if you can get beyond. See, many of you cannot see how you can get beyond the hundred percent because the needs and the enjoyment take everything in your life. I'm telling you, I'm not just talking about discipline. I'm talking about something that happens to you when you surrender your life to Christ. When you allow Him to become the source of your happiness and the source of your strength. Because I tell you, friend, when you set on that journey, when you make a decision today that I'm going to do more than just spending on my needs and my joy, but I'm going to start saving some money and I'm going to start investing some in eternity for Christ and His kingdom, I'm going to help some people. I want to tell you, friend, you're going to be rewarded for all eternity. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. It's a real deal. Because just like those two fictitious obituaries from those two guys that worked at Cooper, you don't know when the last dime is going to be written on your tombstone. But you can control what happens until then. You can either live a life where it's pretty much about me and what I want, or you can make a place for Christ, and He'll give you not only joy in this life, but He'll give you eternal reward. How many will tell me, say, Pastor, God's been speaking to me this morning. Let me see your hand. There's something in my life. Now, listen, when I say that, I want you to be honest because this is the way to respond. The Bible says that we're not just to hear the Word, but we're to do what? Do what it says. So I want to encourage you, before you leave this building and the devil has an opportunity to steal the Word of God out of your heart, I want you to make a decision today that you're going to act on what you heard. Act on what you heard. Do what God is enjoining you to do. Here's how we're going to close today. In just a moment, our prayer team is going to come. And as they come, you're going to all stand, and we're going to sing a worship song once or twice, and then you'll be free to go in just a minute or two. Let me ask you this. Don't don't miss this last opportunity for prayer. You may want to seal what you've heard today, particularly you that lifted your hands, some act of surrender to God. You may want to just come to another person and just humble yourself and say, "I, I, I just want to, at the altar of God, give God my whole world. That doesn't mean you're giving it away but it simply means Lord I want you to be first I want to seek first the kingdom of God you may struggle with worry and want someone to pray with you look at me now you may be struggling with debt and you may want to ask God to help you you may want to pray a final blessing in this series over your financial world I give you invitation to do that today but it could be way more than money you may be sick in your body I'm amazed at how many people have a doctor's appointment on Monday but don't take the time to come to the church on Sunday Come on, when the book of James says call the elders of the church, let them anoint you with oil, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and if they've committed sins, they'll be forgiven. So it, 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 it can be anything. Or maybe it's just in the life of someone that you love and care about, and they need God to help them. We will pray for them. But here's the last opportunity that I'd make in this, in this prayer time. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, my, my needs are way bigger than money. My, I need a relationship with God. I need to get right with God. I've been living away from him, and I don't want to do that any longer. I've lived on my own. I've been the center of my world. But today, I want Christ to be first in my life. I, that had happened to me when I was 19 years of age. The Gideon story, it was real for me. I was raised in church all my life, but something was missing in my life. I was religious, but I didn't know Christ as Savior. And that Gideon gave me that Bible, and I was hungry for truth. I, you know, we think sometimes that I'll get right with God tomorrow. You don't just get right with God when you figure it out. God begins to reach out to you and offer you His gift. And you can receive it or reject it. And if you reject it, it's no promise that it'll come back another time. But if maybe you feel in your heart today that God is drawing you, maybe you're ready to walk away from your old life and begin to turn to Christ, we'd be honored to pray for you today. If you're here today and say, Pastor, I want to pray. I need God's forgiveness for my sins. I need a brand new start in my life. I want to get right with God today. I want you to pray for me. If that's you, I just want you to lift your hand real high. Come on, do it quickly right now. Pray for me this morning. I want to get right with God. God bless you. God bless you. Give her a big hand. Somebody else this morning. I want to get right with God this morning. I want to get right with God today. Let me ask you again. You say, well, why why do I have to do this in public? Well, first of all, you're not joining the church, but here's what I know. If I can't lift my hand to make a step to Christ in a church where people will clap, you'll never do it on Monday when you're in the workplace. So if you're here this morning and you're ready to begin the Christian life and you're serious about it, I'll ask one more time. Who wants to get right with God? Anyone else? Let me see your hand before we go. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet right now. And we're going to come for prayer. Our prayer team is coming. Dear, I want you to come up let somebody pray for you. Bring your friend with you. Come on up let somebody pray with you. Give her another hand as she's coming. Our prayer team is coming now. You need prayer? Come on up let somebody pray for you right now. They'll stand with you today. They'll believe God with you today. You come and let us pray with you this morning. God bless you, I want one of these ladies who are going to help you just right over here. Come on, She'll help you right here. Let's just begin to worship. Worship with Pastor Nick. We'll pray for you and we'll dismiss in just a moment.